0: Mark 7, beginning with verse 24. And from there he arose and went about to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Verse 31. Then he returned to the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee into the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his finger into his ears, and after spitting, touched the tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed, and he said to him, Epaphetha, and that is, be open. And his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. So uh, we're going to read here, and we're going to talk in a little bit about what it's like to address people that are different than us. What it's like to address people that are different than us. So, I've got to just uh, a little way of, well, I guess I'll say beforehand. If you notice, I'm off to the side. Uh, Donna, our church administrator, has been working with the contractor up here, and I determined that this floorboard was, well, she's not here for me to mess with her. That's not fun. All right, where's Todd? I'll blame him. There he's over there. But uh, over here, if I walk to the right and I go through, just have it ready for YouTube. And if I break a leg, just have at it. But this floorboard over here is soft, and I'm not going to give it a try this morning. So when I was younger, around 18 or 19 years old, I went into uh, the Army, went to basic training. And there's something about that. A lot of you here have been to some Type of basic training, some type of uh, preparation. Maybe there's some things uh, even outside of the military that you went to. But one of the things about that, <laughs> I keep wanting to walk over here. Uh, one of the things about that is you come, I had jeans on, I had like a Clemson soccer sweatshirt, I had longer hair, not super long hair, but longer hair, and you walk around and everyone sort of looks like this. Everyone's different, they're coming from all over the country, we had people from Puerto Rico, we had people, I think we even had someone from Guam there. Just totally uh, different people, everyone looked different, dressed differently, and they bring you this thing called the reception station. And it's really a, a, a challenging thing, because you come in there, and almost immediately, your clothes are replaced by, you know, camouflage uniform. And then the infamous cut of your hair. Actually, the haircut came first in my case, and I had this uh, lady put a headlock on me and literally just buzzed my hair off. I thought my scalp was coming off with it, right? It was like, woo, and, and there was no, I think they were sadistic and enjoyed what they were doing. And uh, they really liked the super long hair person. So Mark, if you came in there, they would target you and they would videotape it these days. They'd probably be up, here's this guy, we're gonna let him have it. So they cut your hair all down, change your clothes. All you have is your last name. And what begins to form is a, um, a realization that you are not an individual anymore. You know, it doesn't matter what you did, where you were, where you came from, how much money your parents had, everything was equaled out in, in military basic training. You know, anyone who tried to come up with how they should be treated better were treated poorly in the bathrooms. And I'll just leave that there. I mean, there, I mean, there were some uh, brisk knock-you-down-and-drag-you-out moments when I was in. And so uh, you come in, your individuality is taken out, and you begin to perform as a cohesive unit, and you begin to realize that you are sort of one under that branch. But then, you know, once you get out— you begin to, you know, you, you sort of desensitize back until you've got your individual thing, and then what happens is you become and can become, I'm going to do it, uh, you think you're superior, so if you're in the Army, you know, you look at Marines with disregard. If you're in the Marines, you look with Army with disregard. If you're in the Navy, you look at Air Force and it goes back and forth. And if you're in the Coast Guard, you look, you look at this person, so there becomes this, I am better than you. You know, even in the Army, if you know, I'm the dumb one that carried a rifle and ran at, at people in battle. I mean, I didn't go to war, but it's like, you know, and I thought I was something special about that. I'm gonna get mowed down, right? Other people flew in uh, warthogs, other people didn't that, but you just sort of felt that you were just a little bit better than everyone else. Isn't that true? You just get this sense of, I'm superior. If it's this group, then I'm in this group and this group and this group. Infantry is better than this and this and that. So you begin to get back in that. So in the Christian realm, that can tend to happen. You know, at the foot of the cross, everything is laid bare. We have nothing at the foot of the cross. We bring nothing but stained garments. We bring nothing but our emptiness. We bring nothing but our, our past and our brokenness and all our hurt and our shame, and we just lay it there. And when we lay it there, it's a freeing place. If you, we always want to think of going back to the cross because there's something about that equal playing field. And then what happens tends to happen in church realms. People get a little more educated. They, they've done one more study than you. Maybe they have a gift that you don't have, and they begin to flaunt it. And they begin to go, my gift is greater than your gift, or I am better at this than you. And I'm not saying it's something that's spoken. It's an inward arrogance that can come out. I sort of feel like I had that even... Uh, And I have my own inward arrogance about a lot of things, but even theologically, I, I sort of began to think that I knew better than most. And what God tends to do with those areas where you think you're strong, He still uses it, but He'll chop that tree down until you're bare at the foot of the cross. You follow me with that? So, and then it, it sort of goes out to where you become, uh, and some Christians would, would do this, that they get, they get saved, they, get, they grow up in the church some more, and then they begin looking outward at the world, people who are broken just like they were, and going, I can't believe they act like that. How can, how can they act like that? You know, and then it's like, I am better than they are because I was smarter and I came to Jesus and they didn't. It's another sense of pride inside. And so then falsely, Christians begin to judge unbelievers. We're not called to do that. We're called to judge one another. And we begin to put our focus, and I'm not saying we do this here mostly, but I'm sure it happens, but we begin to put our focus on those outside of the church. And then even it happens inside the church. Different churches in the same town, it's like, well, we're better than you, or we've given this, our denomination's bigger, or it's not bigger, and all this stuff is going, and so then it becomes all of this. So Jesus, here, he was going, and he left uh, the area around the Sea of Galilee, and he went to somewhere interesting. He went to the region, which is called Tyre and Sidon, and there are actually cities uh, and this is the modern-day Lebanon. So if you look here, uh, it might be a little difficult to see, but there, where it says Sea of Galilee, Jesus went approximately, it's 120 miles, rough round trip of how he did it. He went to the coast of Lebanon, and he went above there. And what is interesting about that is that these people who lived there were known as the pagans. They, this was a pagan culture. They were... Um, they were under the, the group that was taken over by Alexander, Alexander the Great. So when it says that she was a Syrophoenician woman, it means she was a Greek-trained woman. She didn't grow up in Greece, but she was under the auspices of Alexander the Great. Hey. Um, so he went and he left, oddly, the Sea of Galilee and went north. And he went to the pagan area. And, and as we read on verse 24... He says he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. So I want to give you a couple thoughts here today. I found great solace in this statement. Jesus, who's 100% God, 100% man, was following the will of God, and at the same time, he wanted to disappear. He wanted to be alone, he wanted to be hidden, but what does it say there? He could not be hidden. Some of you, I know, uh, I know sometimes you want to just get away, you wanna just sort of, uh, uh, I think of the old Lenny Kravitz song, I want to get away, I want to fly away, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, take me away, put me somewhere else than where I am, and God will use you and take you even to a pagan land where you think you're gonna hide, And people are going to show up when you're open to him and you're following after the will. And I want to be sure that you understand that Jesus was in the perfect will of God, but he was still fully human. He wanted to vacate a while. His flesh was straining. So that's encouraging to me. Did anyone suffer from the straining of the flesh, just wanting to get away and just disappear for a while? Thank you for the three or four who were honest. I mean, it's like, um, I just want to do it sometimes. And that was great comfort to me that Jesus wanted to get away. And it didn't work like he thought, and that sort of happens with us, I think. But in verse 25, it says, he immediately... Immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Seems reasonable, right? Woman comes up, my daughter's sick, you know, um, filled with a demon, possessed. Come on, Jesus, just give me a quick healing and we're good. This next statement should cause a little bit of puzzlement to you. It did me as I read it again. Verse 27, and he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What? what? Is that? Is that kind and compassionate speech? It doesn't sound like it on the outside is what I'm trying to get to. It might be something I'd want to say, you know, but it's, it, he says it, right? And it's like, okay, why is that there? Continues on, but she answered him. So he said that she could have gone, oh, he's going My ministry is to the Jews, I am a Gentile, I am in a pagan land, and he's letting me know that I'm the dog at the table. Now if you've ever been overseas, dogs overseas are not like they are here. Many of y'all love dogs and have them as pets, and some dogs get treated better than people in our country in overseas a lot of dogs are just uh they they feed on uh dead things and they're 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 hated by people they get run off with sticks i'm sure they get killed and all this stuff some of them in certain places get eaten Uh, but um this was not a really positive hey you're a labrador retriever and we love you syrophoenician woman he just said let the children be fed first, for it is not right for the children's bread, and be thrown to the dogs. So she recognized that she was not a Jew, but she continued on. It's amazing. She answered and said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Who's had a dog in your house that eats Our kids let me know after the fact that they had a deal with our um, Chesapeake Bay Retriever. They would not act like they were feeding them and it was very deceptive, Um, but when mom or dad looked to the left or to the right, there was this little underhanded, here you go. Did y'all ever do that as kids? Uh, Raise your hand and say there's someone here now. All right, we got three or four honest people here. The rest of y'all didn't have dogs apparently. but if you didn't like the food, you know, you fed the dogs. And she was like going, hey, even the dogs can eat under the table. And, he's, and he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. So remember in the earlier weeks, the Pharisees worried about cleanliness. They're worried about the types of food and what Jesus did. Here we have Jesus demonstrating that it's not the people, the people groups. It is not the outside thing. It's not where you are from and where you're born. As we talked about last week, it's a matter of the heart. This lady is probably the first one that got it. She'd probably heard the teaching. She I mean, this is where I love women in the Bible. Those dumb disciples. And yes, I said that. They didn't get it, but this pagan woman from a pagan area, from a different place, she got it, and she put it back on Jesus. She had this come and go, this uh, mark thing with Jesus, and he said, "Your faith has healed your daughter." In Acts ten thirty four through thirty five, uh, Peter, who helped, just sort of bring it back who Mark used as a source person for the book of Mark, Peter opened his mouth and said, "'Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, "'but in every nation, anyone who fears him "'and does what is right is acceptable to him.'" So what do you see here? You see what Jesus began teaching his disciples. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew, it doesn't matter if uh, some of you are from, uh, an, uh, there's some, I know there's some Tillman people here, yes. All right, so some people who are from Tillman, you know, there is something, I mean, my family comes from a small island too, so I get it. Um, there is something about ex- exclusivity. If you weren't born there, you're not from there. Is that a generally true statement, right? No matter if you moved there 50 years ago, if you weren't born there, they would not know your heritage, you did not belong. Here in town, we have some issues of Easton people thinking that maybe Easton is better than Cambridge, right? And so there's this thing, and then if you come from this town, then it's better from this town. And so there's this, oh, you go to Easton High, well, I'm from Cambridge, South Dorchester, and it's all back and forth. Well, I'm from the north side, I'm from this, and it's that back to the military thing. Everyone starts one-upping each other. If you're here from the Eastern Shore, I've about heard 80% of Eastern Shore people talk bad about Western Shore people. Probably 99%, but I'm being nice. Oh, I mean, if you're a deer hunter, and I must say a derogatory statement, and watch my step as I go. If you're a deer hunter, uh, when you see the orange driving over to Chesapeake Bay and trailers with four wheelers on it, with rifles, not as much anymore, but it used to be like rifles in the back of the trucks and all this stuff. And you see the blaze orange coming across the day before Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Day. There's a term for that. It's called Baltimoreans. <laughs> I'm honest to God, truth. It's like, here they come. And so we make it that, oh, I'm from the eastern shore, so I know how to hunt better than they are. And so we make statements like that. I want to propose to you that all of us in this room, in some way, shape, or form, we make those type of judgments on other people. Maybe you went to a college in a certain college town. Maybe your college was an Ivy League college. Maybe yours was this college or that college. like, yeah, I went there. Oh, I went there. Oh, I went there. You know, at the foot of the cross, we're all the same. We're all evened out. Jesus Modeled this to Peter and to his disciples. So, this a little statement up here Jesus doesn't see human status, but he sees human need. He doesn't see status. He doesn't see, um, like, uh, I'm going to give some parallels here. Maybe if you are Middle class or above, maybe a person in line in front of you has a card they're using, and you make immediate judgments about what they're doing and how they, what kind of clothes they're wearing, and what they should or should not be doing. Is that veiled enough, or I just need to say it? Do y'all get what I'm saying? Pray for Mark's salvation. Maybe you're a person who doesn't have much money, and when someone rolls by in a nice car, you go, oh, I bet that there was a silver spoon in their mouth. Oh, they've got this and they've got that, and it's a derogatory statement about that. Maybe it's about uh, people you see on the street here locally that look different than you. Maybe it's someone that is... uh, that you judge, and this is a, this is a thing I'm going to make you aware of, if not everyone who speaks Spanish is from Mexico, I'm just going to make that real clear for you. I want to tell you, I have friends who are from different parts of South America who get ticked off when they're called a Mexican, if they're not Mexican, The Mexicans are upset if you call them from Guatemala or Puerto Rico. All it goes around. And so even in there, there is a class warfare going on. Us from Maryland, maybe, or some of you from down south think that, or maybe especially the Texas people. Are there any? I'm not even going to ask. Texas people are those group in heaven that have their own room. They don't think anyone else is going to be there. But it's like, oh, I'm from Texas. Who cares? Who cares? But we have this up and down, up and down. I'm better and better and better and better. Jesus doesn't see the status. He sees our need. And all of us here come equally with the need for the gospel. I'm going to pass on uh, to verse 30. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. So here he's closer to the Sea of Galilee, but he's still in a pagan area. Verse 32. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his head on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Now, that's a little weird to me. But it goes back to how they understood some of the people back then would view that um, some of their sort of, um, what do I call it, medicine doctors would take and they would do stuff like that. And so there's two thoughts on this from a um, biblical perspective is one is that jesus was modeling what was done in their area that they understood so he touched and in him touching them it was saying i am doing something to you the other part of it is that it is believed to look forward that there is going to be something that is inside jesus that is going to heal you completely if you think about the blood of jesus so those are the two perspectives there but it said looking up to heaven takes that And he he spits and he touches the man's tongue. in verse 34, he said, Looking up to heaven, he sighed and he said, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. I want to just give you some perspective here. This is what happens if you are a Christian the day that you were touched by Jesus. He touched us. He opened our hearts. We had ears to hear then. We had eyes to see. We were spiritually healed. And this was a good thing. But why is this important? Why is this story here? I think it's only referenced once in the other Gospels, and it's not referenced directly. But just to go, why did Jesus do this? In uh, Isaiah 35, there's a number of verses here. We're going to just look at verse 5. Before Isaiah 35, there is judgment that is brought down in the book about this whole region of Lebanon. So God is pronouncing judgment, he's pronouncing judgment, he's pronouncing judgment, he's pronouncing judgment. judgment. And then you hear this. It's where hope opens up. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Earlier on in uh, verse 2, it says, It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of God. So Jesus just left the Pharisees who were all about themselves, right? It's about us. It's about our religious, it's our religion. It's about how we're going to do things. It's about um, we are the chosen people. Earlier on in Isaiah, God prophesied that the answer was going to come and the answer was going to free people, even that man who was going to be able to speak again. So it references back years and years and years to a prophecy that was going to come to place. So when you read these stories, it's not all about the healing the healing's good. Jesus sees the need, but it's about the spiritual need that was within people. And in the Old Testament, is particularly showing that Jesus was going to come fulfill every one of those prophecies. So this is why Jesus left his safe little place, his safe little spot from Galilee, and went up to Lebanon to fulfill the prophecy that was there. Verse thirty-six. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute, mute speak. Mark shows that a Gentile pagan can find Jesus, um, I didn't do this right, with, uh, with what tradition of the elders mistakenly thought could only come from the Torah. The Gentile pagan could find Jesus. This woman was able to see, even with Jesus' little pushback conversation with her, he was able to, she was able to see the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to ask a few questions, and this is the part where I'm going to step down in a moment and just want to discuss something. Number one, what are types of people that get looked past that we look past in our daily walk? Now, I'm not, you don't have to say this is you. So we're all to be safe place here. It's a safe place. You can be talking about me, but just say what is. What are the types of people that get looked past in our daily walk? People with, people with disabilities. Very good. Homeless. Very good. Who else? Homeless. Elderly. Foreigners. Foreigners. Very good. Who else? These. Family. Family? some families get overlooked absolutely who else get overlooked indigent people yes they get overlooked i mean i'm thinking back with roy so we just saw the vietnam traveling wall it used to be that the vietnam soldiers got overlooked they came home and they were overlooked for what they did so how does this week's lesson, what we just read, I mean, we could just read, hey, Jesus healed two people, that's awesome, he does all things well, two thumbs up and a snap, we're good, let's go home and have some lunch. But what does this lesson teach us about how we are to view others? That Jesus can do anything with faith. If, Jesus, if, we, have faith, if we have faith in Jesus, that we can do anything. If we have faith in Jesus, that we can do anything, absolutely. We can even minister to people who don't, we're not comfortable with, right? What else? What is it? And then people that we name, how does it teach us that we're to view them? Pardon me? I'm the leper? Hug the leper. Oh, that's good. I'll just take that and I'll, I'll do it to where my style is. I'm the leper. Yes? I would say seeing them as better than themselves. Consider everyone better than themselves. Yes, sir? Consider everyone equal, right? We're all equal. We're going back to the beginning, right? We're all equal under the cross. Getting past their exterior to see their interior. Getting past their exterior to see their interior. Absolutely. But sometimes it's not just the exterior. I just want to say nationally, I I, I might I'm not sure if I mentioned this before, but I read a book about Ireland the British, um, the Isle of Britain treated Ireland so horrifically. Hundreds of thousand peoples were starved to death. They had their own food that were shipped off so England could make money. They all looked the same, just had a little different dialect. How does it make us view, as Christians, people who are here, let's just say, Illegally. Got real quiet. So if someone's here illegally, as a Christian, let me, let me step back. What trumps, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, just sort of chill out, you're good. If you're a Christian here this morning, what trumps, I'm sorry to use that. Uh, <laughs> I didn't intend to do that. Uh, what overrides, thank you, you, you might get saved, Mark. Uh, <laughs> what overrides one another. Which one is greater than? Our Christianity or our nationality? God's love trumps man's love. God's love trumps man's love. Boom. Tweet that sucker. That's good. Not you the sucker, but the the quote. Uh, Yeah, God's love trumps man's love. So how are we to treat as Christians People we might not agree with or like? Supposed to love them? Yep. Yes? Well, beings were all God's creation created in His image to see them in that way. And that we have now a chance to share the love of Christ. We're all created equally in God's image, right? And so we treat them with the grace that we've been treated. This means the person that just got out of jail. And let me just say, guys, I love this church because we had this happen. He's not here. I just sort of bring it out. We had a guy that his wife was here, and um, he was in jail, and she became a Christian. And this church came around her and loved her. And he's like, I'm going to come when I come. And he was terrified. He walked in here. He had tats everywhere. And this church loved him. And he could not believe it. So I'm saying all this. I'm not like rubbing it like this is a, you know, you guys, you guys have done that. But there's more. Jesus is always pushing us to more. So my, my, I want to leave you with this thought. What does Jesus teach us? More specifically you, head, heart, hands. What does God teach you in ways you're viewing people lesser than yourself? Maybe it's a, maybe you're a boss at work and maybe it's your employees. Maybe um, I don't know, you just sort of put yourself in the place where it is. Where does that put you if everything else supersedes, <laughs> if, super, if Christianity is above all that, how is our response supposed to be measured? And I just take it back to Jesus loved, Jesus offered, He said that the gospel is good to all peoples, and all of us come equally to the cross. Doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your failures. It doesn't matter your brokenness. It doesn't matter how good you are because no matter how good you are, you're not perfect. So I just want to implore you, what are ways that you look down upon that no one else will know that you're looking down, that you're called to show the love of Jesus in your context? That is what he modeled for us. That is how we are going to make our mark like Jesus did. That is how his thumbprint of Jesus is going to be placed on our society when we get over our superiority in certain areas and come equal to the cross. Would you just please stand as we bow? Father God, as we come to communion, Lord, I... I just want to invite all your people, Lord, uh, that they can come, Lord, they can come and partake. Lord, if there is someone here that does not know you, I pray that they would just see that they are invited to come to the cross, that they do not bring any less or any more than any of us, that we all come equally, we all come humbled. Lord, I pray that they would put their trust in you and that you would fill them with your spirit and you would touch them like you did that man. Father, I just ask that, we as a people would be audaciously accepting of everyone in our past that we would not consider ourselves greater but consider ourselves servants, that we come to die and we come to serve. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you're a Christian this morning, we invite you to come and partake of the elements. We'll take them all together at the end.